You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, it's Lauren here with another episode of On the NBA Beat. Before we start our show, I just want to pause for a little bit to remind you that if you're subscribed to us on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it if you took just a minute of your time to leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us in the rankings and lets other great people discover our show. If you've already left us a review, thank you so much for that. Now on to our feature presentation. We're going to be talking about the Houston Rockets with Salman Ali, the managing editor of Red Nation Hoops and host of the Red Nation Hoops podcast on the Almighty Baller Network. Like a lot of the basketball internet community, myself included, Salman is a huge fan of the Fast and Furious movies, which he considers to be the best action movie franchise of all time. Salman's favorite of the bunch is Fast Five. I'm more partial to Tokyo Drift. Hey, Salman. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, it's good to be here. Just to get things started, last game, James Harden returned from missing one game with a wrist injury, and he put up 30 points, 11 assists, and 7 rebounds in a win against the Denver Nuggets. From what you saw in that game, are you confident that his wrist is back to normal and he'll be at full strength when the playoffs come around? <sighs> um, that's a loaded question. Uh, I, I think he's a lot better than where he was a week ago, right? And that that's all you want at this point and like i think the rockets did a good job at sandwiching that rest day to where he'd get a full five days of rest uh, and and let's be real that was a rest day like it was listed as a flu but i mean we kind of know it was because he didn't want to sit and the rockets kind of had to say it was it was a flu day so I, I think they did a good job of finding ways to sit him his shooting stroke looks good uh he's getting the rim and he's not tentative when he gets there which is a problem that he had last week and he's like he's not grimacing after shots which was a big issue through the TV, you could just see that that wrist was bothering him. And now, I mean, it looks a lot better. I think he's just kind of shaking off some cobwebs. He looked a lot better later in the game than he did in the beginning of the game, and I think that's important because I think he was kind of shaking off a little bit of rust for taking five games off. Yeah, as you said, he had a couple bad games. He looked like he was in a lot of pain when he was shooting in for the couple of games before he sat. It seems kind of ridiculous to say this about a couple bad games at the end of a season and one game missed due to rest and injury but do you think those last two weeks are going to have a significant negative effect in voters eyes for his MVP case especially keeping in mind the comments that he and Patrick Beverly previously made regarding the rest issue well first off yes uh, I I do think that's going to have a a significant impact on his MVP candidacy because um, the perceived notion for this race is it's razor thin, right? And stuff like this does matter in a race. You know, Russell Russell's going to end up playing all 82 games and Harden's not. And that I think that matters to some voters. Russell Westbrook's, you know, ending the season really strong and Harden's kind of getting his bearings right for the playoffs. And I, I do think uh, recency bias is a thing there. And as far as Patrick Beverly and James Harden's comments on the whole matter, like, I, I disagree with them. When they came out and they said all that stuff about rest, I, I just... I just don't think they're right. I think rest is really important. Uh, the science backs it up. All the sports performance data, it's just 
it's just smart to rest, right? Uh, we've seen this with the Spurs over the years. Obviously, the most popular example, the Spurs always resting Tim Duncan, and I, they've elongated his career. And I think the Rockets should try doing something like that with James Harden uh, as he gets later into his career. But yeah, I, I do think this is going to have a, some sort of impact. Whether or not it's big enough to sway the whole entire tide of the race, I don't know. It kind of sucks because we have to wait till June to kind of figure out what kind of impact these last two weeks is going to have on the race. But yeah, I, I do think it will have some impact. I don't know how much, but I think it will have some. So if you had a vote, would you still pick Harden personally for MVP? Uh, yes, and it's going to sound a little bit homerish, but I mean, I just think, I mean, if you, if you look at the course of NBA history, this award has traditionally been given to a, a top three seed, a team that's winning 54 plus games every year. And he has that right amount of winning and absurd stats. What's unique about Harden is, you know, there's a good case for everybody on the board. Like Kawhi has a really good case because the Spurs are really, really good this year. Harden has a really good case. Westbrook has a really good case because the absurdity of his numbers. But Harden uh, is unique in that he has a combination of all those qualities. Like his team is winning at a high level, not as high as the Spurs, obviously, but he's they're winning at a high level. And he does have absurd statistics, not as absurd as Russell Westbrook, of, of course. But, like, it's a good combination. And I think the efficiency is, is what makes me vote for Harden. Harden's shooting 62% from true shooting percentage and Russell Westbrook shooting 55. Now, that's still pretty good. I'm not bashing Westbrook. I just think that gap in efficiency and the gap in the win total is kind of what makes me lean towards Harden. Yeah, whether Harden wins the MVP or not, it's indisputable that he's having just one hell of a season. For the March edition of Sports Illustrated, Lee Jenkins wrote a really fascinating story about Harden and how he's minimized a lot of the distractions that came into play last season. Stuff about the toxic dynamic between he and Dwight Howard. Also, his high-profile relationship with Khloe Kardashian and the TMZ-like attention that that drew off the court. There is a fitting quote that Harden gave in that feature that I want to read first. I'm not worried about anything but hooping, and that may be why I'm having this kind of success. Help provide more context for us on how important those adjustments have been that Harden's made, or if you think that that's being a little overblown and it's more just adjustments on the court. Oh, we, we noticed this thing with Harden before the season, like the kind of shift in his behavior. And I wrote a column about this, the maturation of James Harden. Harden this summer has taken significant steps as a leader, even just the little things like he obviously he cut all that crap out of his life. One small detail that I thought was pretty significant is like when the Rockets were drafting and they, they didn't have, they didn't have any high draft picks this year, right? They were kind of towards the end of the draft and Harden showed up to the, the draft room. And I, yeah. and I thought that's a pretty significant sign, man. Like a lot of superstars don't do that. They just kind of like, you know, let, let the GM do their job and stay out of the way. Right. And I think showing up there is a good sign. He seems really invested. And obviously one of the big, the bigger uh, high profile things that Harden did this year is he signed that big extension to stay with the Rockets. And I think to me, that showed a huge commitment to the franchise that may not have been there last season, right? Let's just be frank. He he did not try as hard as he could have last year. And I think that reflected in how poor the Rockets played. And I think this year he's kind of taken the, the complete opposite approach in that he's treating his body a lot better. Uh, he came into camp great right in shape. And um, he's treating basketball as 
as his job as opposed to something he's doing on the side. And I think that's really, really an important distinction to make. I remember um, Jonathan Fagan, uh, he writes for the Houston Chronicle. No, it was, it was Calvin Watkins of ESPN. I'm sorry. But he sat down with Travis Scott. He's actually a local Houston rapper. And uh, he was talking about how, what's his opinion of James Harden? And uh, he basically says, like, James Harden doesn't even want to go out with me anymore. All he does, <laughs> all he does is he wants to stay inside and play basketball. Like, it, and, <laughs> and it, it may seem odd and, and goofy, but, I mean, that's true. I mean, like, just that small shift in behavior. Like, he's taken a more serious approach to basketball than he has in, in prior years. Like, I remember last season, towards the end of the season, came leaked that Harden wasn't even riding on team buses anymore. And that became a huge story. Like, Harden was, you know, taking a separate route to the game. And, you know, little adjustments like that in his behavior is adding up to what is amounting in a hell of a season, as you said. So, yeah, and another couple things that he did, he spent the summer in Arizona. He went to Arizona State, as you guys know, and he also pulled out of the Olympics. So his focus is clearly there in Houston. And I don't have to remind you, Salman, that last year was a tumultuous season. Kevin McHale was fired 11 games into the season there were some bright spots and they did manage to make the playoffs getting into that eighth seed but no one would dispute that it was such an underwhelming season in Houston now they've managed to turn it around and they're likely to finish with the third best record in the NBA how much has their success been overlooked in the mainstream discussion obviously you have all this talk about the Cavaliers and Warriors perennially but what Houston's doing is just phenomenal. I actually think it's been covered quite well, actually, this year, particularly in the middle of the year. Like there was all these great futures coming out from obviously that Lee Jenkins piece you talked about. There's a whole bunch of stuff coming out about the Rockets. And I, what I think isn't being covered enough is how good this offense is and how good it is with one superstar. It's like one of the three best offenses of all time. And they only have James Harden and, and basically a whole bunch of high quality role players. It's basically a math problem for them at this point. And I know that's a cliche with Daryl Morey being the GM, but I mean, they simplified it to down to straight high pick and roll, surround James Harden with shooters, uh, have a bunch of big men that you know don't demand post touches and don't do a lot of inefficient stuff on the offensive end and just, just roll to the basket, right? And like those simple changes... I just find it fascinating that they've been able to produce so much with so little in terms of um, not having that kind of star power that you expect from an offense that's this dominant. Then if they have been covered enough, then that's a really good thing because they definitely deserve it. And we have to give a ton of credit to Mike D'Antoni. He's in his first season as head coach, has completely revamped the system. He's generating coach of the year buzz and deservedly so. In your mind, how has he been so successful in Houston as opposed to very public failures the last two places where he was in Los Angeles and New York? Good point. Uh, see, the, the hire in Houston, uh, Mike D'Antoni, was actually approached with a lot of skepticism at first. And, you know, even nationally, it was approached with a lot of skepticism, which I thought was warranted, right? Like you have a coach coming off of two miserable uh, stints with the Knicks and the, and the Lakers. And one common cause there is you have a superstar that isn't willing to adapt to your system, right? Whether it be Carmelo Anthony or whether it be Kobe Bryant. And I think that's been the greatest success here in Houston uh, is that James Harden is willing to buy into the system. 
if you remember in the beginning of the season, that shift to point guard was so widely discussed, and it's worked out really well for the Rockets. He's averaging three whole more assists per game, and he's finding Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, Patrick Beverly for open shots. Like They're in the top 10 for open three-point shots in the NBA, and that's because of the shots Harden's finding them for. And he's been able to kind of fit into that. I, I wouldn't say he's a, there's, he's like, he has a perfect comparison to Steve Nash, but I think he he's kind of that right blend of a modern day superstar in terms of scoring and the facilitating of a Steve Nash, right? And he's been able to generate like 58 points per game for the Rockies, which is pretty insane, like some ridiculous number amount of points per game. And I just think that's ludicrous. And that's pretty much been the biggest difference. You have a superstar that's willing to buy into your system. The guy, the the role players are willing to buy in. And you have an organization that supports Mike D'Antoni, right? You have Daryl Morey being a GM, obviously uh, well-known for his fascination with analytics. Uh, he believes in this style of basketball. He believes in pushing the pace and shooting a lot of three-pointers and, and running a lot of pick and roll. And same thing with the owner, Leslie Alexander. Leslie Alexander always wanted to hire Mike D'Antoni, and that's been widely reported since 2006. This is a thing with uh, Leslie Alexander. He loves this style of basketball, and that's why he hired Daryl Morey, and that's why there's been this perfect synergy between the front office, the ownership, the best player, and the coach. And I think that sort of synergy is why the Rockets are so successful and why it's working out so well for Mike D'Antoni in Houston. As you said earlier, Solomon, one of the biggest successes D'Antoni has had is that he's gotten all of the players to buy into their roles. One example is Eric Gordon, who was asked early on in the season to accept a bench role, and he's mostly succeeded there early on, looking like a six-man-of-the-year candidate. But lately, he's been struggling with his shot. Regardless, how did Gordon adjust to that new role after previously being a number one or number two option earlier on in his career? Well, first, I mean, like you have to look at where he was in his career, right? A lot of people are written, had written Eric Gordon off. It, no one ever questioned Eric Gordon's talent, right? That was there. That was present. It's the health, right? And, and he's obviously a very good player, but, I mean, how how often can you depend on him? And the Rockets took a gamble on his health, and it's worked out really well for them. And I, I think that's the biggest difference is where Eric Gordon was at in his career. Yeah, and I think a lot of teams weren't willing to take these type of gambles on, on him. And that contract was scrutinized by a lot of people, uh, including myself, because I like it's it's just a lot of money to to give to somebody who who hasn't proven to be you know able to be on the court. And that's kind of it's kind of been the story of the season, right? Is that Ryan Anderson and Aragorn have been so healthy, and it's worked out really well for the Rockets because they really need those contributions. They really need that floor spacing. Otherwise, his offense just wouldn't work. And I just think he he fits well alongside James Harden in a way that. Ty Lawson last year didn't fit alongside well James Harden like he doesn't need the ball as much as you would think he obviously does need the ball a little bit to be effective but I mean largely he he's a really good catch and shoot player but he he can pick and choose his spots off the dribble and he's a really good off the dribble shooter his best percentages come when he's shooting off the dribble and that's widely reported you can look that up it's 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 been able to work because he's been able to make it work. And I, I think it's a bigger credit to Eric Gordon, you know, to kind of put that pride aside and, you know, be able to take a, a lesser role. And he's been willing to do it and, and credit to him because he's going to be rewarded for it at the end of the season if it looks like it's it's going to be the case right now. With both Gordon and Ryan Anderson coming over from the Pelicans in the offseason, how do you think them joining the Rockets together helped with team chemistry and their comfort levels well first those guys are great guys 
anybody you talk to here in Houston, like any reporter, anybody, and even uh, guys for the Pelicans, he's one of the best interviews in the in the NBA because he's a really thoughtful guy. He'll sit down, he'll talk to you in, in reference to Ryan Anderson, right? And like, I think that's a key factor in all this. And two, like they are willing to accept their roles as just contributors, right? right? Like there's no illusion here, right? Like James Harden's the star. And that's kind of the difference between uh, this iteration of the Rockets and other iterations of the Rockets right? is that there wasn't a clear leader here, right? Like vocally or off the court, all that stuff. Now there is. And I think that's that's been a, a huge reason these guys have been able to fit in so well here is because there is that pecking order that's pretty clearly established here that, you know, the best organizations have, right? Like you look at the Spurs and they've had that pecking order since day one. First, it was Dave Robinson, then they shifted the franchise to Tim Duncan and now Kawhi. Like, it's very clearly established who the man is. And it's it's easier to bring in free agents like that when it's so clear who that guy is. And also, their games just really complement Harden, right? Like, Harden is at his best when he has shooters around him and willing role men. And Eric Gordon and Ryan Harrison have provided so much for the Rockets in terms of floor space. And one unique thing they've done this year is they're shooting three-pointers like three feet beyond the arc which is providing a new element of spacing that uh, the NBA has never seen before. And quite frankly, the Rockets are benefiting a lot from. And a big reason why they're so good offensively is because it's just so hard to, one, help on Harden and run back in time to defend a three-point shooter that's three feet beyond the arc. That's really, really hard. Their games just really, really mesh well with Harden. And particularly Ryan Anderson, because, I mean, you've noticed it, Lauren, uh, you're, you're a huge Rockets fan. You know, you've noticed it this past stretch, right? With Ryan Anderson being out, I mean, the Rockets offense is really, really bogged down because there's nobody to replace that role. There's nobody that does what Ryan Anderson does in terms of stretching the floor and stretching the floor in the manner that he does and hitting shots at a high rate. The Rockets haven't been hitting shots the same in this past, I would call a little bit of a rough stretch, right? Right? Because they're not shooting well for me on the arc and they're kind of grinding these games out. And a big part of that is because they don't have this floor spacing of Ryan Anderson. And like he's... He's as important to the Rockets' offense as Patrick Beverly is to the Rockets' defense. And I, I think that's that's a good distinction to draw with those two. So, yeah, I mean, to summarize your question, I think, one, the pecking order is pretty clear here in Houston. That's why they've been able to fit. Two, the fit is really well with James Harden. And three, I mean, they're just really, really important to what, what Houston wants to do. And I, I think that's the reason they've been able to fit so well as opposed to in New Orleans. Another player who's fitting extremely well is Lou Williams, acquired at the trade deadline. He's often looked at as sort of a mini Harden in terms of how he can draw fouls and get to the free throw line, even when his outside shot isn't falling. How would you describe his fit with the team? I mean, like, first of all, I, I didn't think the Rockets would be able to acquire Lou Williams with the, with the amount of assets they had. Uh, and surprisingly, they, they were not only able to acquire him, but dump Corey Brewer's contract in the process, which... Really worked out well for both sides, I, I would say. The Lakers got the first round pick they wanted, and the Rockets got the guard depth they wanted because they were really they really needed a fourth guard there for a second. And that's pretty much why it's worked out so well is because they needed that level of playmaking off the bench. When Harden sits, um, it's pretty much just Eric Gordon, and I'm not sure if that was enough, but adding Lou Williams brings another ball handler there for the Rockets who can run pick and roll and is actually a pretty good passer, which I don't think he gets enough credit for. He, he has a really good chemistry with the big men, with Nene and Clint Capella, and finding them for law passes. And, you know, he's obviously a, a gunner. And that's pretty much why the Rockets acquired him, because 
A, he's a really good playmaker off the bench, and B, he pretty much adds to this insane strategy that the Rockets are employing to outgun every single one of their opponents. And Daryl Moore came out in an interview after they acquired Lou Williams and said, if we're going to beat the Warriors, we're going to beat them in a barrage of three-pointers. Like, that's a direct quote from Daryl Morey. And uh, that was really striking for me. Like, that that's the strategy the Rockets plan on employing to have that 10 or 20% chance of being the Warriors in series. Now, whether or not it'll work, who knows? But it's been working well so far, and that's all you can ask for. Even though, as you just said, the Rockets' strategy is to outgun their opponents, Clint Capella certainly hasn't been lost in what they're doing. He's having a career season. But the Rockets seem to sort of have a logjam at the center position, also with Nene and Montrez Harrell contributing consistently when they've been playing. But it's kind of a tough minutes distribution there. How does D'Antoni usually resolve that distribution? Yeah, he's been asked about this a lot. Uh, it's tough, right? Cause, and it's a good problem to have, uh, obviously, right? When you when you have too much depth at one position, um, I think most of the time it's a good problem to have. And I think... I think what what the Rockets have been doing is they've been giving Harrow a lot of DNP rests. And when Nene rests a lot on back-to-backs, so those games are usually when Harrow gets to play. But, I mean, it's been a lot of give and take, honestly. And I think the pecking order for centers is pretty well established. It's Capella and then Nene and then uh, and Harrow whenever someone gets hurt or when someone's resting. And I think that's how they've been able to do it. It's because they understand, you know, Clint Capella is probably the best center of the group. Uh, Nene's really, really reliable, and he's had a really great stretch in the second half of the season. And so he's been closing games for the Rockets. And Harrell, I mean, quite frankly, it's not his time right now. And maybe if Nene leaves in free agency and that's and those minutes open up for him, maybe he gets that spot. But right now, the Rockets have been able to do do well with Nene playing that backup position. And this has been a lot of give and take uh, in terms of Montrez Harrell. And I, I think Harrell's been more than willing to accept that role. And he hasn't really expressed any, you know, concern about his playing time switching back to guards Patrick Beverly has had a really interesting journey to the NBA what does he bring to the team in terms of tenacity hustle and determination the best way to answer this question is like if, if you guys remember uh, the trade talks of Patrick Beverly at the trade deadline where like it, it was discussed for a brief moment like uh, Iman Shumpert for, for Patrick Beverly uh, Rockets fans basically like they lost their mind right because they they understand how important you know Patrick Beverly is to this team he's the heart and soul of the franchise basically the, the grit leader for this team defensively he's excellent right he's having a little bit of a comeback year in turn in terms of that end of the floor, uh, he wasn't that great these past couple of years because of injuries. But now his mobility's back. He's a really good three-point shooter, and, and that fits well perfectly alongside James Harden because he doesn't need the ball, right? And that, if you were to build the perfect player to play next to James Harden, I think it would be Patrick Beverly. And uh, the Rockets have kind of lucked into having that perfect kind of guy. And the contract he's on is ridiculously cheap. Uh, there's some non-guaranteed years towards the back of the end of the contract. I think it's somewhere around like 25 million for like four or five years or something like that. It's it's ridiculously cheap, and when when he's out, like when he's hurt, like that really hurts the Rockets, especially on the defensive end of the floor. And it's surprising because he's like really short, right? And but he impacts the Rockets so much on the defensive end of the floor. If you remember the beginning of the season, he was out for um, a stretch, and when he came back, the Rockets went on that crazy December run. Uh, where they only lost like two or three games in that in that month, and they had multiple game winning streaks, like nine game winning streaks in that month. That's because of the spark that Patrick Beverly provides. And I know a lot of people he pisses a lot of people off, right? But I mean, largely he's the kind of person you would love to have on your team, and the Rockets really appreciate him for that. And I think he's kind of an irreplaceable piece for the franchise moving forward. 
Just a quick question I, I wanted to ask you before we move on. There are some fiery personalities on last year's roster that aren't on this season's version. Dwight Howard, we mentioned the dynamics with James Harden were a little bit challenging. Josh Smith, Michael Beasley, Ty Lawson, all gone. <laughs> Do you think there's something to say about that, that the personalities just mesh better this season? Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, obviously... Uh, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon are really mellow dudes, right? Uh, as opposed to Dwight Howard, uh, Ty Lawson, Michael Peasley. And I think that makes a difference. And that, that fits well with Harden's personality because he's not the the most fiery kind of guy, right? Like the only expression you ever see from Harden is when he's, you know, making some weird face for the camera or, or after he makes a whole bunch of shots, right? He's not the most expressive kind of person. And uh, that dynamic with Dwight Howard and James Harden was very weird. Uh, complete opposites in terms of personality types and Michael Beasley uh, certainly same thing could be said for him and I, I just think this this Rockets team is a lot more mellower compared to last year's Rockets team I do think that makes a little bit of a difference um, everything's a lot more laid back everybody likes each other and I think that's you you can see that on the TV right uh, when it, whenever these guys like you know go off for these crazy stints uh, where they're sh- making a whole bunch of three-pointers. Everybody's patting each other's back. Everybody's giving high fives. Like These guys like each other. And I think, you know, admitting that's that's something you couldn't have said of last year's Rockets team. This this team is fun to watch. And last year's Rockets team was an eyesore. It was one of the worst teams in NBA history to watch. Uh, and it's there's just a drastic difference. And you can see it just on your television screen every night. Looking forward to the playoffs, Houston's difficulties with Golden State has been well-documented. And I think it's come especially into sharper focus recently, given that the Warriors beat the Rockets twice in this last week, and both times they shut down the three-point shooting and Harden struggled. To what extent do you think the Rockets would have a decent shot at upsetting Golden State, or do you more agree with the majority opinion that Golden State just has the Rockets number and this is just not the season for the Rockets? This is going to come up as a hot take, but those two last losses to the Warriors actually made me more confident in the Rockets' chances uh, in beating this team. And, and I'm, not assur- I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that they're going to be the favorite at all. Like, they're clearly the heavy, heavy, heavy underdog, right? Like, mm-hmm. But I think they have a formula where, like, if they get hot at the right time and if they're healthy, and that's a key issue, right? Because Ryan Anderson was out for those last two games. And I, as I said, like, I think he's the second most irreplaceable player on this team because of that floor spacing he provides nobody on the team does that if, they, if they're healthy and if, if they're clicking at the right time which is also important in a seven game series I, I think they have a chance to steal a couple games and I'm not sure if that's kind of what we all want in a Western Conference Finals I, I kind of think that the Warriors are, aren't going to lose anyway so I mean if, if you can steal a couple games I think that's a huge accomplishment because honestly this Rockets team stands up better than to, to the Warriors than previous Rockets teams like Last year's Rockets team, yes, they lost to the Warriors, but they got demolished by the Warriors in like 30, 40 point blowouts. Same thing for for the year before. This Rockets team stays in the game, right? Like if you remember the last game, they were always within a five point margin and they were leading for the majority of the game. And um, the Warriors kind of ran away with it in that fourth quarter. Obviously, Kevin Durant's hurt, and that does factor into things. But they did steal that first game when Kevin Durant was healthy, and I think that I think that is important, right? I think if they're hot and if they're clicking, they have a chance to steal some games. And whether or not that results in you know favorability and winning the series, uh, I don't know. 
I honestly think it's it's going to be a ten or twenty percent chance for any team, any powerhouse to beat the Warriors. I just think the the Warriors are just such heavy favorites. It's hard to compete with a team with uh, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, and Kevin Durant, right? Like it's it's just it's just a math problem that you're not going to be able to to solve um, constructing normal rosters, right? It's just something we yeah. haven't seen in NBA history. I don't think that comes off as a hot take at all. I know you mentioned that Kevin Durant didn't play in those games, but Houston nearly won both games, the two most recent, and they shot horribly from three-point land, which is really their calling card. So I think that is a silver lining in those recent losses. For what it's worth, our most recent guest, Andy Liu, said on our podcast that the Warriors aren't worried about the Rockets because trying to trade three-pointers with them would really be playing into Golden State's hands. But it definitely would be a fun series to watch. So if those two meet can up... I, can, I ask, can I ask you a question? Uh, yeah. If you were to be the Warriors and like, and you had to pick an opponent, like who would you least want to face in the, in the Western Conference? Is it the Spurs? Is it the Rockets? Is it the Jazz? Like, who, who is that team that scares you the most? Even though you're not necessarily worried about losing to them in a series, who's that team? You just don't want to deal with that that kind of worry. For me, actually, I would go with the Rockets as number one and the Clippers as 1B because the Clippers have just such a quick athletic team. They have a lot of offensive firepower, but they have quick defensive players. Really, no one matches up with the Warriors well. I think those two are the most dangerous. No disrespect to the Spurs, but... Those are the two for me that jump out. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think the Clippers are like they're a sleeping giant, right? And I and I think the spotlights kind of came off of them uh, this past stretch because they've fallen in the standings because of injuries, right? And I think you know like that team is still really freaking good. That starting five is like one of the best starting fives in the NBA. JJ Redick, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, right? Like I, I think it's really really hard to match up with those four guys in the starting unit, and I think. You know, whatever fifth guy it is, I think that that lineup has a chance to match up with any any lineup they face in the playoffs, and I think that's important, right? Like they they have the potential to have the best player in a series. Chris Paul can can be like a point god for a series. Like we've seen that before, right? Like we saw it in the Spurs series two years ago, right? He's just that freaking good, and I think the Clippers are that sleeping giant. And I agree with you. I think the Rockets are that team that that worries the worries the Warriors. I, I think. I think Zach Lowe said that on a podcast like a couple months ago. Like they would rather not play the the Rockets; they'd rather play the Spurs. And and I think that's important, right? From their yeah. standpoint, like I think that's that's an important note. Obviously, they're the heavy favorite, but it's the Rockets can make things a little bit interesting. And I'm not necessarily saying they will, but they could, they could make it interesting. And and that's a lot more um, optimistic than we would have said about any team facing the Warriors uh, before the mm-hmm. season. Yeah, and I think pinpointing the Rockets as the team that worries the Warriors most doesn't say that the Warriors are worried about anyone because th- they don't really have reason to be, I think, at this point. They've just been so dominant all year. But the question you asked brings up the question I wanted to ask you. There are two other teams I'm curious how you think the Rockets match up with in the postseason, the Thunder and the Spurs. Right now, they're lining up to face the Thunder in the first round. That would be really fascinating for a lot of reasons. Obviously, the MVP angle with Westbrook and Harden. And also, three of the four games this year were decided by one possession. So talk a little bit about that. But also, I want to know how you think the Spurs and Rockets match up. We haven't talked about that yet. Uh, As far as the Thunder, it's interesting, right? Because the the Rockets, like I was talking about this in a podcast earlier this year, um, 
basically I, I think the best way to describe it is the Rockets would rather play Memphis in a series, but they'll kind of they'll have to settle for the Thunder, right? They don't necessarily want to play the Thunder, but they'll settle for that as a first round matchup, right? And I just think the talent gap between them and the and the Thunder, like I, I think I just think it's it's enough to where you feel confident in beating the Thunder, but you know the the, th- the Thunder could definitely make it interesting, right? It could be it definitely be a six game series. I think that's definitely on the table because Ru- when when you have a superstar as good as Russell Westbrook, you always have a chance to steal a game to play off. That's just the way it is, right? I think that that's actually going to be a really fun first round matchup. That along with Jazz Clippers is going to be really fun to watch. And as far as the Spurs. That's a coin flip, man, in my opinion. Like, the Spurs, obviously, they, they've dominated the Rockets this year, right? They're, I think they've, they've beaten them three games to one. But it's come down to late-game possessions, and uh, the Rockets made a lot of key mistakes in those late-game possessions. Not to give them any excuse, right? The Spurs executed perfectly well. But I think it's going to be a fascinating, really, really freaking entertaining second-round series. Like, And that's one of those games where I, if you were to ask me right now who wins that series, I don't know. I'd give the slight edge to the Spurs because they can slow things down and make things a little bit more gritty for the Rockets. And I think I think that bothers them a little bit. When when teams tend to slow the pace down like the Spurs do, I think that does bother Rockets a little bit. But I, I still think they have a chance. And I, I think it's going to be a fun second-round series for the Rockets. It's going to be really entertaining for sure, especially the interstate rivalry, you know, them being from San Antonio and the Rockets being from Houston. It's going to be fun. The Rockets are 1-3 and three against the Spurs for this season, but three of those games were decided by two points. And the other game was decided by six points, so very close. One of those games was the one where the Rockets had like a 13 to 15 point lead, I think, with about four minutes left and somehow blew it. But just to finish off this interview, thank you so much for joining us. I want to ask a question about the man at the helm for the Rockets. His presence has been felt all over this podcast so far, Daryl Morey. He obviously has his fingerprints all over how this team has been constructed earlier on in his tenure with the Rockets. The narrative was that he couldn't be successful because he treated his players more like assets than like as for team building. Since he got Harden, I think the narrative shifted more, or at least the criticism of him was more towards the play style that they employ. Moriball focused on eliminating mid-range shots in favor of three-pointers and shots at the rim. For me, I think the Rockets, for better or worse, at least wouldn't be where they are without Daryl Morey. But what's your general opinion of him as an executive, how he handles personnel, and also about just Morey Ball in general? Oh, I'm all in on Daryl Morey. (laughs) Um, And that's something I couldn't have said like seven, eight years ago. I think seven or eight years ago, you, you were right to have some skepticism as to whether or not he'd be a good general manager in the, in the league but like that summer where they made the James Harden trade like Daryl Morey absolutely lost his mind like he I always talk about this on my podcast like if you look at his transaction history from that summer like it wasn't just the James Harden trade they made so many transactions that summer and like they were clearly in the hunt for a superstar right? and it, it, his plan came into full view right like Flip assets, keep on flipping them until you get the right amount of assets to trade for a superstar. That's when his plan finally came into full view. And that was when you could take a, a retrospective look at it. Before then, like nobody knew what the hell he was doing, right? He kept on shuffling assets and nobody knew, like, why are you trading for Courtney Lee, right? Like, like the, he made all these bizarre trades, but like it made sense when you, st- when you take a step back because he was making these 75 cents for dollar trades, right? And a- after that, he kind of gained my confidence in him. And I do believe in Mori Ball. I think that's if you look across the NBA, 
more and more teams are shooting three-pointers and more and more teams are running high pick and roll. It's it's just a smart thing to do, right? The Rockets have one of the best offenses of all time doing just that. And as far as like my confidence in Daryl Moore, it's, it hasn't been wavered in a while. Let's just say that. I mean, if you look at this past summer, the Rockets added 15 team wins uh, just by adding two players, like two significant players they added uh, in Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon. And they added Nene to some extent, but, but that was to a room exception, right? And they added 15 wins to their franchise. I'm not sure you can say that about any executive in the NBA. He's definitely one of the five best, in my opinion, in the NBA. Right up there with Danny Ainge, right right up there with Sam Presti, right up there with the best. I think he's kind of earned that, and I, I have full confidence in running the franchise moving forward. Salman, it's been great talking Rockets with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on.